and welcome to Star Trek Discovery Pod, a sometimes funny trying to be smart podcast covering all things new and classic Trek. Turn down the lights. I'm your captain, Mariah Gossett. With me on the view screen, we have Clyde Haynes. I'm sitting right over there. That's going to be my seat mm, right there. And right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> who else is here? Oh, oh, oh it's it, his it, first time on the show, guys. It's it's, it's choose your pain, Paul Tatatu, everyone. <laughs> T-Pain. <laughs> choose your character. Anyway, choose your pain. Uh, we are returning back to our namesake. We're watching Star Trek Discovery in preparation for the final season coming in April 2024. Um, tonight we are discussing from season one, episodes uh, three, four, and five. It's a doozy, uh, which is context is for kings. The butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry. And choose your pain. Uh, first, just a couple of reminders. Uh, Paul, where can people like find this show or find ways to support this show? Hey, uh, reminders like, uh, please subscribe to us on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube. All links are at startrekpod.co. And if you love our content and would like to support us, consider donating two dollars to our Patreon, uh, at patreon.com/slash startrekpod. Yes, I've done this before. It's happening. We're a little rusty. We took a few weeks off for uh, the holiday season. Um, Clyde, if people are tuning in during this live stream on YouTube, how are some ways they can interact with us? Well, they can whip out their handy dandy combats that's sent to all of our listeners boop, and boop, just, boop. you know, boop, 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 and we'll get the message. No, seriously, type capital P, capital O, capital D, capital pod into the chat and we'll take a look at your question, your comment, your concern, or your wrap up thoughts about the show you can participate live with us let and in a second yes and in a second um i'm excited to see it's gonna be like it's the brand new um you will know what we talk about here in a second but just if you've got a overall thought about i guess any with the first episode any of the three episodes yeah let's just toss them all out we'll talk about them in a bundle all of your thoughts in a bundle just type capital h capital f capital hf in the chat and we'll take a look at your we'll call them your warm nuggets of inspiration that's guys I've got I uh in in this thing. Well, first I wanted to just mention uh Prodigy is now on Netflix, so you all can dive back into that. I know the creators have been asking people to try to watch all of that season as quickly as possible, keep them in that top 10 animated show list because it helps them uh get the numbers that they need to hopefully get us a season three after season two comes next year. Yeah, I think tonight I'm just gonna turn it on, turn the just volume let it down, run. Low, let it run and yeah. go to sleep. Just let, just let the lights down low. Watch some prodigy. Yeah, yeah I'm not doing that. Um, I'm not turning <laughs> the lights down low and watching a children's show. That's not my thing. It's to go to sleep, Clyde. We're talking about going to sleep. I'm just saying. Clyde, Clyde, Clyde. News into my, the I'm, comforts of prodigy. Not, that's not doll's voice is not ASMR for me. I'm just saying it's not. That doesn't what what is your so I have a um for a long time, I would fall asleep to what my spouse would call the most annoying cartoons ever and had no idea why um, they were what I could fall asleep to. These would be um, South Park and Bob's Burgers and um, specifically uh, Louise Belcher's voice, which, which is Kristen Schaal, who's a very funny person and comedian and actor, um, which is pierced through the air. And somehow it just lulls me right to sleep. <laughs> Mm, poor spouse <laughs> listen i'm simple i'm a simple guy i like a nice waterfall sound mm. it's not simple it's, it's very simple it's not not complicated um if i'm watching something and i'm dozing off um this is gonna sound terrible because i do like the show but a really good way to get me to fall asleep is to pop on an episode of uh, madam secretary hmm. interesting Taylioni's voice is actually kind of soothing. I'm not gonna lie. Straight uh, to sleep. I have a little button on my lower back, much like Data, that you could. <laughs> uh, but if I do this weird thing where I actually sleep sitting sometimes, a lot of times, and you know, I've been my... watching a show with you, Paul, and you definitely take a nice little nap. <laughs> uh, and so I, I don't know if it's weird, but like you know some. In some ways, it's easier to fall asleep sitting for me than it's down. 
so uh so so all tv and, and movies are fair game <laughs> movie to fair game i think right now movies are tv shows around between three and five if i like have a little time at home and i decide okay i need to take a break and i and i watch something that's prime time to like have a little 20 minute nap or anything post one o'clock choopy hey choopy uh hi hi uh and uh and that winds up being what's you know that winds up being something and then like i fall asleep for like an hour and then i go back to bed and then i don't sleep for another hour it's really weird hmm. if i'm struggling i will pop on an audiobook almost doesn't matter which audiobook it is hmm. um you know the good one is doom doom's really good one. pop on a little doom straight to bed with- and and set the timer, set the you know the, the audible timer for like ten minutes. I'll never make it to the end. Um, audible, if you'd like to give us money to make this podcast, yes. um, just let us know. SpawnCon. Uh, but yes, I do think it is now time for us to jump into uh, what I've decided to call a cold freak. Cold freak. <laughs> what just happened there? <laughs> I made a bunch of new videos and audios for this segment, guys. Do you guys want me to go through all of the new ones I made, or should they? No, no, no. Sure. We just surprised them. But, but oh, may man. I see the cold freak one more time because the yeah, audio yeah, 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 was, yeah, yeah. was key. Yeah, let's let's get it. Cold freak. <laughs> cold freak. No, no, I got it. I'm, I'm just processing. I put snow on it and frost. No, no. Uh, <laughs> I, I saw. I saw. It was very good. Very good. Yeah, this is why you guys should join us in uh, in <laughs> uh, on the YouTube, so you can see all of this beautiful work I'm putting together. <laughs> yes, if you're not on the you in the tube, you're missing out on all the, the visuals and the tube. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and jump in uh, with episode three. Context is for kings. This was directed by Kiva Goldsman. Um, story by Brian Fuller, Gretchen J. Berg, and Aaron Harberts. Uh, teleplay, teleplay by Gretchen J. Berg, Aaron Harabets, and Craig Sweeney. Um, okay. What did y'all think? Thoughts on this episode? What's your cold well, break, Clyde? Well, my, first, now. <laughs> my first thought was to be, because like we've been doing this for a while. So I immediately was like, oh, Mariah's going to love this episode. Yeah. I was like, scary monsters, dark corners. This has got Mariah Gossett written all over it. Um, but I, I I think overall, I thought it was, it was a great way to start to introduce kind of Burnham back into the kind of the fold, I thought. Mm-hmm. Kind of a quick nugget cold freak. Paul? Uh, I think I liked it better than I originally uh experienced it partly because like i'm a little more aware of the absurdity of it in some ways Hmm. and so like you know you you watch it and you're like oh that's silly that's hilarious you know whereas like when you're watching it live for the first time you go this better be amazing because it needs to be everything i want and more you know when you when you're waiting for it and then when it's not like you know you blame mariah gossett but like you know but but, uh, i think now like you know with a little with a little more perspective i think i think it's it was quite enjoyable so i have a question as we talk about this can we talk about it as though we've seen all of the episodes post this episode And I think we're, we're not doing any spoiler free reviews. I think we it's, it, it is interesting to go back and rewatch it. Um, you know, my hot break is seeing the East. No, no, we don't, we're not doing that, Mariah. We don't do that. My here. cold freak because it's an older episode. Um, so I've been it's been sitting on the ice for a minute. Um, icy, if you will. icy freak, <laughs> an icy freak. Um, I I mean I have to say on this rewatch I'm like man season one was really good <laughs> yeah ex- yes um, and and I feel like it got so, anyway it's like disproportionate amount of hate from so many people and I was just like guys this is really good TV um, and I of course to your point Clyde love this it's spooky it's scary this to me was the episode that also really said like 
this is not your 90s trek we had like really horrific uh horror aspects we had body trauma body horror you had fully dead people very dead people very graphically dead um bodies on this ship when they get to the glen um I also think it's really fun to see the development of Lorca, knowing what we know will eventually happen, right? So I think it's been a really fun rewatch to see how they've been able to pepper in, I think, some of these moments specifically between Lorca and Burnham to kind of give you a bit of a hat tip that Lorca is not who he says he is. Well, I would, I'd add a couple things to that because I agree with you 100%. Like, one... The thing that I was reminded of is in that in Lorca's universe, in the mirror universe, he and Burnham are an item. Right. And so when he looks at her, and so there's it that tension to, there. Like, yeah. It, but but the fact that he'd want her close to him, the fact that he'd want to save her, like all these things make sense. Where originally when we watched it, they didn't quite make sense at the time. Mm-hmm. It's like, why is he doing this? Because it, it basically felt like he killed a bunch of people to get her on his ship. Right. I mean, yeah, it's like, what would you do for this person that could, that to you is totally different. And you're trying to see if this is the same person that you fell in love with. And it's, it's, it's interesting to watch from that perspective. Um, like, it is interesting because like, I, like my favorite uh, discovery episode is, is the, uh, Giorgio goes back to the past episode mm-hmm. and you see uh, Taryn Burnham. Mm-hmm. Burnham is very, very different than, than uh, you know, than our Burnham. So well, like, there's a there's an aspect where I go, what's Lorca's deal? Because that, it, it'd be like if my wife were like, were nice and like caring and supportive, like would I would be would, like, would I be able to be with that person? That's crazy. i um i i do wonder though if when he jumped into this universe and he saw that burnham was you know in jail for um mutiny to me that would be a signal to him like perhaps there is a part of this burnham that is the same as my burnham you know sure sure. well i mean i don't know it's one of those things like uh burnham our universe burn burnham was raised by vulcans Right. And uh, Terran Universe Burnham was raised by Terran Giorgio. Yeah. So, yeah. like, you know, there's a reason why it's really, you know, different. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did also really enjoy our introduction to Paul Stamets in this episode. And it made me really m- miss when I feel like I feel like Stamets was initially like a prime cast member in this season and has since been more of like a tertiary cast member in later seasons um not not to say i don't love the additions we've had throughout everything but it was just one of those moments where i'm like man anthony rap was just so like uh dynamic to watch on screen in this first season with the development of this character and it's such a lovely slow burn to see this seemingly like uh, analytical engineer scientist. And then we get these like, you know, in later episodes that we're going to, you know, I think in episode five, we get these sweet at home moments with Colbert. And, and I really love the way that that was sort of like slow revealed to us as a character. So I, I really enjoyed the intro to Paul Stamets, who, by the way, the actual Paul Stamets, the like real scientist that he is named after has an incredible TikTok account talking about mushrooms it's mm. i highly recommend the follow it's a delight <laughs> you know this this pod has a special relationship with stamets um you know i tell the story all the time um when we started the pod like within the first couple episodes or the first four episodes we we got a note from someone saying that they were Anthony Rapp and we all joked that it was Anthony Rapp's assistant only to find out that Anthony Rapp actually listened to the pod I don't know if he still does but to your point when I go back Mariah I look at this and I was because I was like wow it'll be interesting to see I was the first thing that I noticed is I missed him from the first two episodes and was kind of annoyed 
Mm. And then I was like, really though, should I have been? And then the minute that that we he's introduced in the in the third episode, he brings so much to this 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 ensemble. It is, I mean, like Burnham is the stake, right? So Burnham is the stake. You've got to me. You've got. Um, Lorca and you've got Saru as kind of side dishes, but Stamets is the salt, right? He's the flavor that brings it all together. Um, whereas like Tilly is kind of like some honey mustard. No, kill, kill it. I, I was yeah, like, I keep, I'm waiting to see how all, far you're going with this meal I'm, metaphor, and I'm very first, enjoying first it. <laughs> First of all, anyone who listens to the pod knows that I will never bash Tilly ever, ever, ever. Um, and in fact, the only thing that is better than a Tilly is a Killy. So, um, <laughs> um, anyway. I also, yeah, I also yeah. loved our introduction to, to Tilly uh, in this episode. I think it's a nice refresher of where she started and then where we eventually go to, I think with her and she's um, I think going to be our primary character in the new Academy spinoff, which um, I'm looking forward to. And uh, that would be my guess official predictus. Um, but yeah, she's such a, that wide eyed bushy tail. She is like, I think what all of us would be if we got into Starfleet Academy <laughs> in so she, many ways. She is the Wesley Crusher character done perfectly. I'm not going to say done right. I'm just going to say done perfectly, right? It is all fun, like all encompassing, not that annoying. And right? also gives us a small glimmer of like, she didn't come from some somewhere easy, right? Like you can see that she's trying to prove herself in many ways. And I think it's a really smart um pairing to essentially be like this girl is so lonely that she's excited about being bunk mates with a prisoner <laughs> like, so it kind of i think is a is a smart introduction to to tilly um this episode also introduces us to our giant tardigrade um who is uh come to known as the ripper big plot point in our next episode um but I really enjoyed the the chase around the Glen. Um, it did feel like those kind of nods to more classic Trek episodes where you're having to use your knowledge of the ship to outwit, you know, a predator that's been aboard or an enemy that's aboard. Um, and I thought it was a, a fun use of that. What did you all think, though, of the and I feel like this is something perhaps we've talked about in other seasons because it comes back is the use of Alice in Wonderland as this tether for Burnham in this moment. The silence in the stairs. Paul? Yeah. Uh, like I think you use Alice in Wonderland in season one because you're hinting towards uh the mirror universe, right? Right. It's a it, it's you know uh I've never thought of it as something that really applied to what I'm seeing in her journey. It's like something that you might be able to see in retrospect, but like, it's a little dopey having her run through the, uh, the, the Jeffrey's tubes kind of, kind of talking uh, Alice in Wonderland to me, like, you mm -hmm. know, uh, especially like, you know, I'm thinking like, would a Vulcan do that? I don't think so, you know. So who who yeah. who who would do that? Like you know, aside from something on TV or on in a movie. That said, like you know, my response is like, if I'm blinded to the fact that I haven't seen the season before, like you know, I, I would just go like, this is this character, mm -hmm. and it would be still in the process of like trying to figure out who this character is. It's not like she talks Alice in Wonderland ever again, you know, in the other seasons, right? So it's not like I feel like she's a big literary buff. Yeah, I do think it's an interesting choice because I, I do agree with you, Paul. I don't know if I would immediately correlate her story with that of Alice in Wonderland, like the through especially the um, 
the first book. I think through through the looking glass has some some more interesting parallels if you're trying to set up the idea of the mirror universe but i don't think everyone knows that there's like sequels to alice in wonderland <laughs> so it's easier to just jump into the one where she falls down the rabbit hole well, fast sex is like a sequel to one alice in wonderland like people, exactly. don't, some, people don't know that but like uh jason anyway don't, don't worry about it yeah jason momoa is uh is alice um through the looking glass but um <laughs> But I do think it's an interesting choice, given that I feel like typically in in Star Trek, there's so much uh, attention given to grabbing on to like Shakespeare or some of the Greek classic, you mm -hmm. know, some of the more, you know, quote unquote, ancient classics uh, versus something like Alice in Wonderland. Shakespeare is really ancient, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> it's old. It's older than Here's Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> I think sometimes, and I'm probably getting myself in trouble here. I think sometimes we give writers a lot of credit and we put them up on pedestals and we, mm -hmm. and sometimes they deserve it. Right. Like Thank we you. Look I, at, I do. Exactly. We <laughs> look at a, you know, we look at a George Lucas. We, we look at some of, some of the, you know, Aaron Sorkin and we say they've created something that is so deliberate and so well thought out that every detail is a hidden something. Mm -hmm. Right. And and we sometimes we look at it as this is a perfect thing. And it's it's like um it's like a great song that you listen to over and over and over and over again. And on your, you know, 50th listen, you get something new. We, we sometimes I think we look at, at at an episode and go, well, everything in it is perfect. Look, I think the whole looking glass thing and her reciting it to the Jeffrey tools is something that they tried. And then by the second episode, they're like, yeah, let's not do that again. <laughs> right like it was like, like it kind of worked there but it just it was there's so much about this episode that worked i look at this and go at the time i was like okay if they had went back to that then i would have been like god what are you what's happening here like is this really going to be a part of her character because if you do it two or three times i feel like you're stuck with it and you got to keep going with it and that would have just been a little bizarre yeah, I think they realize she's not a character that's going to have these like outward Monolo uh, yeah. monologue narrations to self, you know, <laughs> and appearing crazy. Because here's the thing that I feel like everybody forgets he is you're in an open channel. Like everybody's listening to her, like ramble on and on. About well, I also I did think of that as like, oh, is she doing this as a way to maintain comms? But then also I, I do wonder if it was supposed to be a little bit of a nod of like, maybe this is something she's picked up being alone in prison that she just like has these moments out loud to herself i don't know that that was kind of where my mind wandered but um i do want to go ahead and jump into episode four which is the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry um where we have um burnham is now kind of studying this tardigrade that Lorca had um oh what's her name uh landry uh bring over from the ship much to the dismay of Burnham at the beginning. Um, and we're trying to figure out how to get this spore drive really functioning. This has been something I'm like, you know, I just kind of at this point in watching the series have forgotten all of these like hoops we've jumped through to get this to be a functioning piece of technology that I've forgotten all of these crazy ass steps <laughs> we went through <laughs> because yes, like, the fact that in episode four we established that we can use the tardigrade and then by five we have it where Stamets is our navigator is such a like quick succession of change of function that I've just been like, yeah, I don't know. It just works. And I believe that it works. <laughs> um, well, it's also like watching it back is really funny to me because like, the weird nipple clamps on the tardigrade. That was a yes. choice. That, that was a was, choice. That was a choice. And sometimes I have to be reminded that we're we are talking about a bunch of sci-fi people. And not for nothing, we have interesting choices. We make interesting choices. It couldn't have but, just gone in its back. It seems to like being on all four of its legs. We're getting know. way in a weird place here. Um <laughs> <laughs> so, didn't, we didn't make it weird. They made it weird, Clyde. Yes. <laughs> where i was going was landry and mm. so immediately like we're introduced to this landry character who's like 
I'm gonna put you in your place. He sent me to protect you. And I was like, my first thought was like, hmm, why don't I remember Landry? Like what? Because she dies in episode four. (laughs) Which I had to confirm. I at first I was like, oh, Landry really gets messed up. And then I was rereading and I was like, oh, this says Landry dies and so then i double checked and i was like oh no lantry gets killed (laughs) well and this comes back to your point of this isn't your typical track right like first of all we get introduced to like when trek kills somebody they're almost nameless they're usually almost Mm -hmm. literally nameless or it's a device because someone is leaving the show this was kind of one of my favorite like thriller horror uh movies is deep blue sea i love deep blue sea right and one of the reasons why my my hat is like a shark's fin yes listen don't get me started on ll like i could recite half of his catalog we're not going there that is a patreon (laughs) episode later um but like for me the thing i liked about deep blue sea is like at this point, Samuel L. Jackson is a headliner, right? Like when he's in a, a, a movie, you're like, whoa, that's the big guy. So for him to, spoiler alert, like skip ahead if you haven't seen the Deep movie. Blue Sea. <laughs> yes. If he's standing there giving a mount monologue, right? Like people do. And in the mid sentence, the shark gets up and was like, enough of that. I never expected that. Never, ever, ever expected that. And so that is not something you ever really saw on track. That's not, not that's not a part of that. For Landry, to for us to be introduced with Landry, like she got a name, like mm-hmm. she got a couple lines. Like it was like, okay, I'm I can get with this. All right, let, let's see how this goes. Like fell into a trope and everything. And then to just get destroyed so quickly in like middle of it all mm-hmm. was surprising and that's an old to hey by like i'm letting you know this is not the track this is this is definitely not your tng voyager ds9 track this is not what this is yeah. and i was like okay all right i'm paying attention you have my full undivided attention um the other thing that happens in this episode is we get a jump back to kind of what's going on with the Klingons, um, which we hadn't gotten uh, in the last episode. And we find Laurel, um, who is still being uh, loyal to Voke, Vok, Vok, um, Vok. Uh, but they have been overtaken by uh, a different Klingon house and there's a lot of double crossing, but I, I enjoy seeing this part because well, one, I really love Laurel and I'm excited uh, that this is the beginnings of that character development. And Again, then also- when I saw this, I said, oh, Mariah, she is the biggest Mary Chifo fan I've ever seen. She, one of the nicest like, people in the world. Have you ever met her, Mariah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, multiple times. Uh, like, did you meet her in like Star Trek Day? I, I have met her at Star Trek Day. <laughs> Bye, Clyde. Um, but we also have met elsewhere at other events. I'm just gonna um, pout. <laughs> just go pout. Um, she's very tall, very nice. Um, but yeah, I, I love Mary Chifo. I think Laurel is such an interesting character. I again, please give me a Soprano style uh Klingon drama show. I'm I'm ready for it. And I, I like that we get to see this side of, of Klingon culture um, where they're talking about sort of the matriarchs and how it seems to be this separate system working within itself of being like, hey, it reminds me of that scene in um, my big fat Greek wedding where they're like, the men think they're the head of the household, but the women are the neck and they can turn the men any way that she likes. Um, and it gave me very much that energy from Laurel. Yeah, like... Uh you know the Klingons are so fascinating like to me Star Trek has created these Klingons and maybe Klingons more than any other race with this deep 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 like almost mythology to Mm -hmm. it and so I think it's fascinating to you hear stories especially when you hear new stories right and so it's kind of like and 
it, it felt like when Star Trek wanted to tell a Klingon story for a long time, the only story that they told was something in relation to Kittimer. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. always Kittimer. And so for Laurel to tell a new story about her own family and the choices that she made, like, I felt like I was on the edge of my seat, just like, okay, then what happened? Tell me more. Like, you know, it's bedtime stories with Laurel. Like, give me more, give me more. Um, and so it that that was that wasn't wasted. As for as much into you mentioned it earlier, Mariah, as much shade that got thrown at the first few episodes in season one of Discovery, because it was just so new on the rewatch, I'm like, man, like that was really good. Like Laurel, Laurel became the the much more interesting character than wanting to hear or see Vok, right? I was much more interested yeah. in Laurel. Yeah, and I think they do a good job of, like, portraying that she has more than just, like, um, like, she sees Vok, I think, uh, more than just, like, a leader. Like, I feel like they're, they've done a good job through all of the makeup and, and props to Mary Chifo of being, like, oh, she's also romantically interested in this person and is, like, trying to find a way to save this person, knowing that this is the the path is not looking good and and she's thinking like five steps ahead of all of these guys um so i'm i'm excited to to dive back into laurel um okay. as the series so, continues so but. here is here is my my Uh-oh. question to you uh what's her plan what's her plan i think she knows she knows how she's got to save oh no, no, no. But, 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 but but you know by turning saying... him into ash tyler <laughs> To do what? To what? To what? To what end? Well, I think she wants to find out how the spore drive is working because that's what we get into in episode five. That's what she's the most concerned with. So, so her her thought is, uh, we need to put a spy onto Discovery, particularly, mm-hmm. yeah, in order to uh, get the spore drive mm-hmm. and see how they're magically tra- teleporting. Yeah, okay. because she knows that, like, at this point, this other Klingon has come in and is like. Oh, we are Cole. Cole is like, we need the um uh the invisible eighth thing. What is it called? Cloak. Cloaking. Mm-hmm. We, I was like, I just lost it. <laughs> we need the cloaking that that occurs on this ship. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, oh no, we don't need the cloaking. We need whatever this next thing is. But but um, but, but that next thing isn't really in full display until the following episode. Right. So she at that time she doesn't know that there's this magical teleport drive. She's she's just taking Ash Tyler to go and you know, you know, like bio experiments on him to to uh to, well I think to save him. I think she has a, a love of this person. Oh, hundred percent, hundred percent. But like, you know, from the from a timeline perspective, uh I don't know if she had a plan until I mean, um, yeah, she could have just been like, I'm going to hide you out on my matriarch ship until I figure out what to do next. Yeah. Well, so I, like, I, it, it, if that's the case, then like they could have just hooked up and he could have been like, well, you know, like uh, her, her side piece. As well, she was just I, think living life. <laughs> I think it was a little bit more strategic than that. Like, I think I, they may have not known everything, but mm-hmm. the what I took away from it was they had just been basically defeated. Right, at the right. colony. Mm-hmm. They'd been defeated. They're floating in space. They're trying to figure this out. Like, And they're they're looking and going, okay, what do we do? And, sh- and now you've got this leader who's about to be just completely deposed. Uh-huh. And, and she's looking and he's trapped. So uh-huh. she's been out there. She's seen, okay, they've got a toy or something. He's been sitting there going over their logs. So he's understanding who people are right at least especially because was it the half of the crew of the discovery is the crew of the shinsen right and so he's reading through he's sitting there by himself about to starve to death reading through all their ship logs and understanding who they are and she's looking and going you might be a secret weapon that you know that you can do it so i think from the the minute that she I think she had every intention on coming back for him. Mm-hmm. But when she uh-huh. came back for him, she came back for him with a plan. 
And so she knew what she was going to do. And the fact that, you know, he hadn't, you know, killed himself or done uh, something uh, crazy. Like, to, to go with that, like, so she comes and beams on board the Shinzo. And she goes, I have a plan that's going to cost you everything so that you can, you know, be back on top. You know, like, what's the plan at, in her mind? What's the plan at that moment? Because right now, the, the, the plan... Her plan in that moment is to get him on the matriarch ship. I think that's where it stops at the end of that episode, for me. Right. To make sense. Because then, because we then jump, so episode five, we jump a uh -huh. month into the future. So 100%. we now have a time jump of a month. So I think for her, it was, I'm going to get you on this matriarch ship because I know that we can figure this out, the matriarchs that are involved over here. Um is what I think happened. Um, the last question I had on episode um, four, before we jump to five, though, is when they're like, the ship saved Corvan too. They just went in and like blocked those other ships and then blew up the Klingon ships. The Klingon ships. But I thought they were supposed to do like an evac. So when they're all like, they, who saved us? The who saved us for me was a little like too much. Yeah. Me. Uh, like I, I think you know. In the end, they just needed to stop the Klingon from bombarding, right? That that was that. I was guess, the... like to me, I was like, I thought you were supposed to. They kept calling for an evacuation. This doesn't look good on the surface of that planet. Um. Anyway, I I thought they were supposed to get everyone off of the planet. So then when I saw everyone on planet still, and they were like, "Who saved us?" I was like, "Santa are Claus." You, That's who. Are you saved? Right, Clyde. Santa Claus. <laughs> Santa Claus did it. Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I agree with with both of you, Marais. Like, I thought it was a little bit much, and I felt like, why leave? Yeah. Are you safe? Like, I don't, what? I don't know. Anyway, it, and it, and why not let them know? Like, there's hey, a, there's a top secret super teleport weapon ship that can you know jump around. Like, in, I I don't know. I, be I, I afraid. Like, be afraid. Like, we've got this weapon. Well, I know Lorca was like, "We're gonna wait because I want them to see who we are and watch this jump mm -hmm. happen." Um, which felt very Lorca y. Um, oh, is that is that why he waited? Is that I thought he just yes. waited so that they get close enough to the the the, the torpedo, so they no, no that was definitely of ego. Yeah, yeah, that was that was. Are you sure? He said, I want them to see who did this. Mm -hmm. so the, 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 the ships are coming in. They're, mm -hmm. they're right on top of him. He black alerts away. And then in his place is a bunch of like torpedoes that blow yeah. up and kill the Klingon ships. Right. Yeah. So if he, if he jumps away any sooner, they pull away. Right. I mean, I don't know. I think they would have shot at the ship again. Well, but, but he, he, he black alert away. Right. He did, but he could have black alerted away, I think, much earlier than that. At which point they would have pulled away from the tor torpedoes, the Klingon. To me, it felt very like I need them to see me, like very uh, peacock energy. I, I, you know? I, like, you know, I, I understand. Like, but as you know, the last time that I fought in space battle, that's how I did. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, well, uh, good uh, to know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I felt very peacocking to me oh, sure, sure. over strategy. Um, but yeah. But but you said it earlier. It was very Lorca. Yeah. Right. I here's one of the things that I've been watching because I've I've watched a few more of the episodes and I remember the first watch it, it, there being a lot of conversation because I was not a Lorca fan. So I said you hmm. do not like captains. I do like captains. I just there's some that I don't like, and I was trying to figure out if this particular like, did I give Lorca a hard time? Was I giving him bad rap? And from day one, I was like, no, nope, I'm still with it. Paul, here's the thing. Let's hear a thing, Clyde. You know, listen, I like, I like rom com. Right. Okay. Rom-coms are great because they follow simple rules. Mm -hmm. Right. Now you can do variations, but here's the thing about a rom-com. For the most part, a rom-com at the end, the guy, the, the person's going to get the other person. Right. They're going to sure. get together. If you do a twist and you want to get all crazy and be like, well, at the end, they don't get together. Great. That's going to be a failed rom-com. Um, so there's certain things that I just like, like I'm expecting and you can play with a whole bunch of stuff, but my, but, but, 
my captains and some of the core things that happened around those captains, I don't want mess with. When you start to mess with those, I push back. So in the cases that you're thinking <laughs> apparently, about, apparently, like like Shaw, like you know, exactly the, the guy who's protect, trying to protect his ship, like you know, yeah. I, hey, I, I, here, so okay, so so Lorca <laughs> is Lorca's borderline a bad moral, right? Like he's just throwing all the rules out. Like he he literally. Like yeah, <laughs> worse than that, worse than that. Because here's my thing about Lorca. Uh-huh. Lorca not only has a treble on his ship, uh-huh. which is just a bad idea. I love the little cooing <laughs> treble on the desk. Yeah. But he also has said, hey, there was a monster aboard this vessel that killed everybody. You know we what we should shit do. Aboard. <laughs> Let's lock it in my office. That's a good idea. No, it wasn't in his office. It was in his uh, personal little dungeon. It's like zoology exactly. experiment lab. <laughs> his closet. Yes. Let's put it in my closet. Put That's it in my. Idea. It reminds me of like I don't know if you've ever met people who like trophy hunt. It's very like come into my study and look at all of these magnificent Let's creatures yeah. I put on the wall. <laughs> I grew up in Texas. That happened, and every time it did, I was like, I'm the wrong person for this. I am never going to be excited about this. Yeah. Um, so, so that was my thing with Lark, with Shaw. Now I softened on Shaw at the beginning, but Shaw messed with to me the canon of. Oh, I, I get. Like you know, they're of, they're of like th- th- you should really protect your ship unless it's you know Riker and Picard. At which point they to do it would do whatever you want, you know, because because the, because that's the way it is. I'm not saying he did not bring up some valid arguments. <laughs> I'm not. Right? But he he messed with the fantasy. Right? Oh, I, like, I get it. I get it. Here, here's this guy who who like literally Picard and Riker go like, hey, let's trick him into doing uh, like, this, this no. bullshit. And and, and and he's like, no, I'm not gonna be tricked to do your bullshit. He, you know? Here's the thing. Here's what we've said. Like, here's the thing that Shaw did. Shaw basically has said every Vin Diesel, every Rock, every Steven Seagal, every James Bond. Here's what should actually happen in those cases. These people all go to jail, <laughs> right? Like, like every well, movie. To be fair, James Bond does have a license to kill. <laughs> yes, but in the way he does you gotta it, have he your should... permits in place. <laughs> <laughs> Just say like the, the, the reason why I, I, I'm pushing so hard on this is because on my first watch of Discovery, like Shaw is the only character I like. Not I'm sorry, mm. not Shaw, like Lorca. Lorca. And, and it took me a while to come to this realization. I go like, oh, it's because everyone feels so underseasoned. Everyone seems like a goofball. You mm. know, uh, mm. everyone feels like they're they're not really. I mean, it's also of- Jason Isaacs. It's like. He's you great. Know, you know, great. Malfoy's dad. Oh my god! <laughs> well, uh, but you bring up an interesting point, Paul. Discovery is supposed to be the best, most secret, fantastic ship. Yeah. yeah, this supposed to be the best ship in the fleet. No, now, no, it's a nerd ship. It's a science vessel. It just happened to be in the middle of a war. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's got this technology on it. Oh, and yeah, so yeah. when we so when we think about when we think about Voyager, when we think about the Enterprise and the Enterprise in particular, right? The Enterprise is always the flagship of the of of the the Federation. Sure. And it's always stocked with the best of 100%. everything. 100%. Right. So when you talk about season, everybody on the like in TNG. Everybody on there is the best at what they do. And if they're not the best at what they do, they're they're second. Well, here's the deal. They're second at best what they do. And that best is going to get, you know, it's going to do something stupid. It's going to get blown up. And then Jordy's going to become chief engineer. Like that (laughs) stuff is going to happen. Like it's just about to happen. And to your point, when we first meet the crew of the discovery, with the exception of, I think Stamets, they don't jump out at you as the best of the best, which is very different when we go to a place yeah. like, like again, now we're in strange new worlds and we're on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. And everyone's, and, everyone's the best of the best. And, I mean, and I you're, think, you're with the best of the best. I, I think it does make sense. Though, if you're like, this is a science vessel during a war, 
you're going to put probably your best sciency officers all aboard that ship. And, sure. and sure. Like Saru at this point is not a great number one, um, but he is more than competent and is someone who is like, you know, proves himself many times over and on paper, I think looks very impressive, right? Like all of his uh, accolades and, and accomplishments at the Academy. So I, I can see how it is a bit of a whiplash when you come from other shows, but I think it makes sense within the structure of this show. Yeah, no, like it, it, it took me a bit of time to come to that conclusion. Yeah. Where like, you know, where, when you go to, you know, the California class, you expect everyone to kind of like, <laughs> kind of, kind of like to be not not sovereign class worthy, and and mm-hmm. they aren't, and it's okay. It's totally okay. Yeah, not everything needs to be like a a three Michelin star restaurant crew. Like sometimes you have, you know, but sometimes you need and want trash. And, and if you want to call Discovery's crew trash, fine. It's okay. I'm it's not, not calling how, them it's trash. how I see it. It's not how I see it. <laughs> I'm all about the highbrow and the lowbrow. You know, uh, like give yeah. me like a like a fast food burger and a glass of champagne. You know, that's like a beautiful combination. You know what I think I'm missing from the original Discovery crew is they haven't given me an Ortegas, a Data a Tom Paris, right? Like what I need is somebody who's so good at flying this thing, this ship that you always feel like you're going to be okay. And there's nobody on the discovery crew, at least at this point that you're like, yo, you yeah. can, you can fly. We eventually the get there with channel. Kayla and a wish. Eventually. Like, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I think like this reminds me, imagine like S X-Men first class. Mm. Without Magneto and without Doc, uh, Professor X, and you just have people just trying to figure stuff out. That's what Discovery feels to me. Like, plus Lorca, who who kind of knows uh, what to do, except that he is like you know a sociopath. You know, <laughs> so that, that 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 was a very interesting mix from my experience of Star Trek. Like it was such a such a divergence from what I was accustomed to. It really took me a time to really accept that. Yeah, I think we often also have not seen any Star Trek where, besides Deep Space Nine, where folks are really like at war, right? And yeah, there sure. is a difference between between being on a ship and being on the the station, right? And, and um, there's only so- one real episode in Deep Space Nine where, like, it's really war e war e, like the mm-hmm. like the like the battle fatigue of war and that right. you know is, is viewed as a very strong episode because all these people have ptsd blah 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 uh but even like you know even in most of the show even it's like we're we're, we're sitting cool happy happy with our food replicators and we're warm and then oh uh, we go on the defiant and we, we pew 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 mm-hmm. we kill some jemadar we come back like it so it is it is a very true thing that you're not in the trenches like we are in uh in what you call it in in discovery and right. to, to to be leaning for forth further you know it's a bunch of nerds on a on a science ship who don't really want to be here because we're not about the naval aspect of starfleet and yeah. now you've kind of drafted us into this and you brought landry here who <laughs> who's baby psycho you know, like, you know, like, I, I don't, you know, I, I see why there's such, uh, there's an organicness of how this has happened, mm-hmm. you know, but coming in as a viewer of Trek, you go like, what am I watching? It feels so foreign, so alien, you know, that, uh, that you were like going, oh, this is this, am I watching even the same franchise? And it mm-hmm. gets there. It does get there. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I wonder if, if if discovery had the same art direction as strange new worlds, if that would have been an easier transition, because, you know, for all of it, one of the things that star Trek is known for, except perhaps maybe in, in Voyager, but like, you know, just some color, right. You know, like, yeah, it is very grayscale, very cool tones. Um, but I, I don't know. I didn't uh, mind the the jump because to me it did feel like, oh, I'm watching like uh-huh. modern Trek. Um, sure, in, modern, but, modern retro Trek. Right. 
Um, and it, it did, I mean, to your point though, I think part of like what is charming about like Star Trek 2009 is there are those like pops of color throughout that, sure. even as like a modern take of the original series is the movie. So like, it's like those Star Treks were comforting and like in some ways discovery was the first choice to make star trek confronting as a series mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah like when they say like we're making a prestige drama you know like no no offense to the marketing team over at paramount but to me it always struck me as kind of funny that they they would push picard as their prestige drama show when to me i find discovery to be a much more like in the vein of like we're making a prestige drama star trek yeah, 100 100 mm, i can agree with that yeah but um, but if they had made different choices in Picard, would that have been better? Like, could that have been their flagship prestige drama? We don't have another like, hour to talk about Picard, Clyde. <laughs> I know. I'm just saying, like, the one thing like, to your point earlier, the one thing that's different between these two is there's a lot to me. There's a lot more action in yeah. Discovery. To me, listen, as I say this all the time, if you know me, you know I love a space opera. Discovery's much more of a space opera. Half the time, Picard, they don't even have a ship near a ship yeah. on a ship where the ship they have can't be found, right? Like, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of monologue. It's a lot of dialogue. Yeah. So. I mean, it in some ways, like, when, um, when friends ask me about starting to watch Star Trek, I usually will ask if they watched and liked Battlestar Galactica. Because if they did, I usually tell them to start with Discovery. Because I think if you are someone who's already coming from that mind frame of like, oh, I like this type of space show, yeah. I think this is a very easy jump into that world. Um, but going into Choose Your Pain, um, which was directed by Lee Rose, story by Gretchen J. Berg and Aaron Harberts and Kemp Powers, teleplay by Kemp Powers. Um, we have Lorca being captured by Laurel and the Klingons. Um, we also get... The famed moment in front of the mirror with Culber and Stamets brushing their teeth, and it's very cute. And we finally get our first official queer couple on Star Trek, and it made my little heart happy. Um, and we also get introduced to Ash Tyler, I think one of the most divisive characters of Discovery. We've seen well, a lot. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. Who, the, the actor... Um, very charming. I can see exactly why he was cast. Um, we also are introduced to Harry Mudd, um, who I'm really glad we eventually get an additional episode with because Rain Wilson as Harry Mudd is very fun. Very fun. Very, very fun. Favorite part of the episode. Incredible. I thought this episode happened much later in the season, so I was surprised it happened so early. Like I know it's like funny Mudd. how things compress into your head <laughs> when you're remembering these episodes, but um I did think it was, you know, again, another interesting jump into some of what's going on with the Klingons and seeing that ship. But then we also have sort of the morality uh, uh, going on on Discovery of do we continue to use the tardigrade? And now the tardigrade has made itself unusable. Um, and Saru is trying to figure out how to be a leader for the first time, really. It's really is dense. It a lot it's of, a very a lot. dense episode, but I... I I wanted to just point out, I thought the moment for me that was the most successful is the moment between uh, Burnham and Saru in this episode, where we finally get to kind of the core wound of their relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought it was a really lovely conversation that they have. And I thought it was really great character development for both, where Saru is like, I am not afraid of you. I am jealous of the fact that you got to learn all the things I could not get to learn. And I just thought it was a really great scene. Yeah, no, like, uh, like Saru's a little bitch. <laughs> I mean, he, he's not so little. He's very tall. Very tall. Um, but I thought it was a very lovely acted scene between Doug Jones yeah. and, and Sneaker Martin Green. Yeah, no. I, I'm sensing a theme here. Like, listen, I'm not going to say like, like Hawaii Five-O. The, um, <laughs> When I when I think back to like some of the pilots to TNG, Voyager, DS9, especially TNG, it wasn't it wasn't like a perfect pilot, right? Like mm -hmm. there's definitely some rough edges. What? <laughs> <laughs> but like 
the way those characters were introduced it felt like a team it felt like cohesive like it was there was a, a bit of a team up what i'm noticing here is i look and go it's the root eh. he he does seem a little whiny a little like there, there's so much dissension in this in this this team right half of them are like we immediately get this dialogue between stamets and Lorca. like they hate mm-hmm. each other right this is this is a different crew and maybe it's interesting like i think it's an interesting from a writing standpoint i think it's very interesting that we're we're going through the i hate you then you're my best friend you know kind of arc like but that's unusual for trek even with voyager when you introduced the maquis that Mm -hmm. made sense because you had two rival like groups that then felt like they came together fairly quickly yeah, I, I think in the 90s, like there was a style of writing archetype, you know, and so and here in Discovery and less so in Strange New World, but like, you know, in Discovery, particularly, there is a focus on psychological realism where you're like, oh, I'm in this battle situation. I'm a scientist. I don't want to fight. Why am I? You know, like you're going to butt heads with the general. You know, like, uh, so, so there's in some ways, like, an archetypical, a show written archetypically is easier to get on board with, like, you know, kind of like any Marvel movie, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like you could get on board that quickly. You can onboard quickly. I mean, um, all reality TV shows are written for archetypes, right? Yeah. Uh, and, but like, you know, when you go to a, a psychological realism show, like, you might not love the people immediately, but like, You'll, you you tend to have a richer experience because you're more into the nuance. And the question is, can they hook you long enough for you to like enjoy the nuance? And so like, you know, like, for that to be done to Star Trek, it's interesting. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. I, you know, Discovery is not my favorite show. That said, it is the boldest show that, uh, the, it's the boldest Star Trek that's been made because mm-hmm. it tries the most in a way that is like trying to be relevant and new and the same it's you know i would say strange new world achieves it better but it had like four shows to build upon to to get the formula right you know Mm -hmm. so like Mm -hmm. i I think i think discovery is the braver show the bravest show oh you know that uh, well i take it back like you know uh the original series is probably the, the bravest show because like no one expect you know that was out of nowhere kind of thing But yeah, I think I I think in this in in revitalizing the franchise, it is a big swing. And I think it um, I find it a successful swing, but I can see how other people would be like, this is such a, um, you know, the game is totally different than the game that you grew up with. Right. Yeah, I I think like, you know, there's a show called Top Chef. It's the word like. (laughs) Yes. So. Really? one one of the is yeah, it about yeah, chefs? It, and we're trying to find who the top one is. Uh, oh, man, but like, I would have never seen that. That's coming. a snazzy title. It gets right into what it's about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but what uh, what one of the judges talked about? Uh, Clickio said like uh, the real mistake that some chefs do is like they try to make a dish that you know that they know, but they try to use a bunch of different ingredients. So let's say you do duck larange, but you make it with. Uh, with a uh, chicken instead of duck and instead of like orange you make it with lemon and instead of using this stock you make it with this stock and so you 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 know the formula but you're changing the ingredients the issue is like the more ingredients you change the more exponential uh the variation is until it may not seem connected to the thing mm-hmm. and i feel like discovery did a lot of that in a way that was not comfortable to some people, myself mm-hmm. being one of them. Uh, but like, you know, after, you know, having a, a several years to calm down and just watch it on its own merits, like if you've never watched Star Trek before and then you watch Discovery, I'm sure the experience is vastly different than what I experienced, yeah. you know? Uh, and, you know, and you go like, oh, well, like, you know, this is really interesting. Like, you know, you watch... I, I watched old Battlestar Galactica and mm-hmm. that was amazing. But I only there were only like 
two or three seasons of it like you know i didn't have like four different shows of right of galactica and then seeing the new galactica so when i saw the new galactica I was like, oh pretty slick pretty slick you know like it, mm-hmm. I, because i can invest because i wasn't i wasn't entrenched in its uh, uh its original yeah. exactly it, not the lore is not the right word like the, but the the style choices that were mm-hmm. made you know and how to approach storytelling like yeah. for all of it like stannis pisses me off because he's just so annoying to me you know uh but like if he were in any other show like you know where he's like this the smart ass i'm the genius he would be fine mm-hmm. he would totally be fine but for whatever reason because he's put in you know this situation where he's you know there's a war happening and you're being a pouty little scientist like you know like like and you're on you're on star trek and you're you're, you're ugh. And, and all you do is play with mushrooms come on man <laughs> play with mushrooms um Speaking of mushrooms, we do get, uh, so Stamets does eventually inject himself with uh, the um, tardigrade DNA, tardigrade DNA, which is a wild thing to do. And he becomes the navigator um, and collapses, but uh, does come back to life. Um, But I thought it was an interesting choice to have the mirror moment where we see his reflection does not move. Um, to let us know that obviously something is not right um, in the world anymore. Uh, and that will have to keep us hanging for the next episode. Um, I did want to ask y'all about our, this is kind of our first big introduction to uh, Colbert. We get um, Dr. Colbert, we get an introduction to Wilson Cruz on the show. And what did you think about his intro? I am a big Wilson Cruz fan. Um, so I was excited to see him on screen. But what were your thoughts? I mean, I thought he was great. I, I think like, you know, like like he could be on a sovereign class. You know, like <laughs> he, hey. on a sovereign class. <laughs> he does seem like a very competent doctor. Like, would I put Tilly on a sovereign class? No. And I love Tilly. I love me some Tilly. But she... not yet. But by by season three, she's definitely yeah, sovereign yeah. class ready. But but like, you know, but but Colbert, he, he's ready. Like, you know, he's he, he could he's only there because his husband is there <laughs> he's like i'm stuck on this science vessel because of you. exactly that's how i feel like he's because he's you can see that he has good bedside manner he knows what he's doing he's you know mm-hmm. he, he's 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 flagship ready um I, we i think when you when you have a general right like for this to function really well, you need someone who's not afraid to talk truth to power and to be, and for, for that truth to be accepted. Thank you, Clyde. Cobra is the person on the ship mm-hmm. that can effectively push back on Lorca a little bit. There's no one else who can literally it's go, Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, like, like he's, yeah. he's the person who, he's the person who could talk to anyone and go, Hey, Stamets is doing a lot of pushing back, but he's not being heard, right? Yeah, Col- Colver no- knows how to say, here's what Stamets is saying, but packaged for you in a much nicer way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I-, I did also want to talk briefly about um, the reveal of Lorca's last ship and mm-hmm. essentially how uh, we get the first nugget of information of how Mirror... Lorca kind of survives right and we uh pretty much establish here that everyone I I, I do I will be interested in how it gets revealed because I don't exactly remember a hundred percent of how we go from like oh I killed all of my crew to oh Lork the actual Lorca probably died actually with his crew and did go down with the ship I, I think if I remember correctly the, the assumption is like they swap places Right, and they assume that the uh, the Terran Fe- one. Federation Lorca could not survive in Terra Terran, mm-hmm. you know, because it's too cruel. Blah blah blah. Yeah, I can't remember exactly how they tied up uh, actual Lorca in the series because I feel like there's always been a small glimmer of hope that that Lorca could still exist and come back in some way. There is actually like they didn't mm-hmm. they didn't they didn't. They didn't talk about 
right uh, like you know like th- there was no there was no you never saw a body right right now the fact that they're 900 years in the future is probably yeah, probably problem. not going to happen now but yeah. <laughs> you know, it could could show up elsewhere um yeah i mean i'm excited to continue the series continue the rewatch is there anything else y'all wanted to discuss about these three episodes no no i i think we're gonna hit episode six is my favorite so uh we're gonna hit that next and i uh uh it'll just be me praising rain wilson you know he makes a really good harry mud um very correct manic behavior with just a a dash and a sprinkling of charm (laughs) in all of the right ways um well yes we will be back next week y'all to continue our discussions we'll be talking about episodes six seven and eight um you can subscribe rate and review this show on apple and on spotify please share the show with a friend if you've i got a lovely text today from a friend who said I've never watched Star Trek before. Where should I start? And I said, I've been waiting all my life. <laughs> all my life. Waiting for a question from you. From you. <laughs> um, and I said, boy, howdy. I already got a list ready. So I sent her my list from the Comic-Con. Um, so yes, please share this show with a friend. Tell them how they can start listening to Star Trek. They could even start right now with Discovery and do this re-watch with us. Um, you can follow us on X. Uh, we are also back on Instagram posting when we're going to be doing things. So you can find us over there too. Um, yeah. Anything else you all want to promote or talk about? Uh, no, no. I, I think uh, happy end of the year, everyone. I think 2023 has been a challenging year for some people. Mm-hmm. Certainly me. Uh, and I think. Uh, Ready to see it off. Don't let the door hit you with where the good yo- good lord split you is that the saying i think that's the saying we look f- for brighter horizons for for 2024 mm-hmm. uh hopefully uh there'll be some great star trek and some great uh some great conversations to be had yes you know i'm just reminded how in 2019 i kept going man i can't wait for 2019 to be over 2020's gotta be the year it's gonna be a great year and it's been pure chaos since so here's hoping that 2024 there's something about 24 that is magical and refreshing and better and just more harmonious Indeed. or not or you know like you know uh they uh some people say that you know the worst thing to happen to you is to live a long boring life who says that and why? <laughs> Let's hope we all get to live long and prosper in That's 2024. Good. We'll see you all next week, y'all. Bye-bye. Okay. See you next year. Oh, oh. Happy New Year.